This is 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Released twice per month, every episode brings you one step closer to cyber resilience by hearing how IT leaders are practicing cybersecurity. Resources mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes. If you're ready to take your cyber resilience to the next level, be sure to subscribe so you can catch every episode. I want to start by asking you, introducing yourself, of course. So who is Heather? And tell us a little bit about your role and responsibilities at Big ID. Sure. And thank you for having me here as well. So my name is Heather Fetterman. I'm the Chief Privacy Officer here at Big ID. And I essentially function as our leader internal data privacy program and everything that has to do with that. In addition, though, as we are a company that has a privacy solution, I work very closely with our product team on strategy and development. I work with the marketing sales folks on business development, and I basically get to be our privacy evangelist. Wow. Okay. Interesting. It's an interesting title. I, li- I really like the chief privacy officer. Can you talk to us about some of the, you know, your highlights both here at, at, at Big ID, but throughout your career? Because I've, I've looked through your through your resume and you're pretty impressive. So maybe some of the big accomplishments or highlights that you can talk about. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say I kind of have different ones at different points in my career. I started as a legal and policy fellow at the Future Privacy Forum. And I think for me that for a highlight was really um, getting the chance to work on like a voluntary code of conduct. And at the time it was around mobile app transparency. It was with the NTIA, which is a subunit of the Department of Commerce in the States. And I've just never seen so many adults argue over like one document the way that they did. So it was this huge lesson in how to work with people. And the fact that we even did something to me was an accomplishment. And for me, I was part of leading that for our organization, coordinating, leading that process. So it was a really huge kind of trial by fire experience. I mean, I was at American Express then. I was on the global privacy team. And and there I, I got to be part of initiatives like when we were doing Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and Google Pay. And so it's just, to me, it's just kind of cool to see how like these are just like, it's so easy when we think about it now. Like we don't think twice about it, but at the time it was such a big deal. And then after that, I spent a good amount of years at Macy's Bloomingdale's as a director of privacy and data risk. And I know this might be like a a silly example. One of the big things I was tasked with was actually updating our privacy statement. And um, it, it was a huge thing because for that, you have to get agreement from all these business stakeholders to say, we are okay with what's in your privacy statement because it's essentially a public contract that you are having with the public. And while I think like 0.01% of people might actually read these things, well, some of the people that read them are plaintiffs, attorneys, and regulators. So you really need to make sure that everything in them is okay. So getting all that consensus and then even just the agreement to have a notice on your website saying, hey, we've done this material update. We need to let you know about it. Again, it was just this huge exercise in consensus building and getting this done right for the company. And then also just another highlight from that career, from that that role was creating a a privacy champion type program because Macy's is a massive company and we were a very small, nimble team. So basically embedding privacy experts within the business 
So, and, and not expecting them to necessarily be experts in privacy, but training them enough that they could kind of have pass that smell test to say, this doesn't seem right. Let me notify the privacy office about this. So to me, that was also a huge success. Here at Big ID, anytime we launch some sort of privacy product or application, I just, I feel a sense of pride with it. I work very, very closely with the product team. I know how much blood, sweat, and tears that they put into what we're doing. They genuinely care about making this right for our customers, which is essentially me. So I'm, I'm usually in beta mode and testing these things out. So anytime it's out there that we're hearing positive feedback, I take immense pride in, in, in the product, in the team, in the company. That's amazing. Yeah, you, you mentioned something really interesting, Heather. So you're obviously, you said like a customer to the product team in some mm -hmm. way, right? A couple of questions stem from that. So to be a CPO, Chief Privacy Officer, I mean, do you absolutely require a legal background? Um, I, I don't or think so. Uh, a lot of folks in privacy do have a legal background, but it's certainly not a requirement. It helps to understand the law. But again, it also really helps to understand how data flows, how technology mm -hmm. works. I mean, I could easily see in the next five, 10 years, folks from more of an engineering background to start filling that role of chief privacy officer. I, I think it depends upon the needs of the organization. And, you know, it's almost, it almost matters less where you're coming from and more where you're at right now. And I mean, to me, I also, I, I've never actually worked as, even though I have a law degree, I've never worked as a lawyer. Or an <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Which is funny to me, but because of that also, I take a very practical approach when it comes to figuring out some sort of privacy challenge, mm -hmm. because I, I mean, the law tells us one thing and, right. and I'm not disagreeing with the law for any lawyers listening <laughs> here, uh, but at the same time, I mean, you have to do what makes sense for the business, what makes sense for customers, and, and what's ultimately reasonable and going to get the job done. Right. Okay. And, and you mentioned something. I was actually going to, my second question was having some kind of technical understanding, right? So it sounds as if you, you, you definitely do have a technical understanding of how the data flows. Uh, both, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, both from mm -hmm. like a process perspective, but also from a technical perspective, yep. you know, is that, so you, you actually have to have, wear a lot of different hats here, I guess. You do. I mean, you have to kind of understand what is actually happening with the data. And, and sometimes when, like when you can get really into the weeds, sometimes things that you thought were scary are actually not that bad. And then things that you thought weren't that bad. <laughs> so you really need to know what's going on. Yeah, I see that happening a lot. Okay, all right. We we sometimes take things for granted, basically, in in in, in the business, right? Where you, easy stuff should be easy, and it ends up being very difficult, and then vice yep. versa. So you, you talked a little bit about your 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 career and different roles. Maybe this is a, a, an easy question, maybe difficult. But when did the the passion for data and data privacy actually arise? Like, what was the moment where you said, "Wow, I really like this." Uh, that's actually easy for me. Um, so in, in America, the way it works with law school is that you do three years and your first year, you don't really get to choose your classes. And my first year, you know, I, I, I'm a student of life, so I love learning no matter what, but I happen to have a legal writing assignment and it was about a fourth amendment privacy issue. And I was arguing on the privacy side versus for the law enforcement side. 
And I just found that I, I got really, really passionate as I, I started to research the issue and the way it, it works with American jurisprudence is that you're constantly looking backwards. So we're comparing a cell phone to a laptop, to a briefcase, to a cigarette holder. I'm wow. like, this is insane. Like the iPhone <laughs> had just come out and like all your data is on this tiny little device. So I kind of just, and then, so because I cared so much, I actually did really well in the writing part of this assignment. And then there was a oral argument you had to do. And again, I cared so much that I just like, I put my all into it and I really cared. Amazing. And I kind of just decided then and there that I'm like, all right, if I'm going to be doing this legal thing, then I'm going to focus on privacy and that's going to be that. That's, that's um, a good actually, story. Yeah. And actually the best part is, I think it was like seven-ish years later or something, I saw that the Supreme Court unanimously affirmed the court case that that hypothetical was based off of in the wow. way that I argued it. So it was like wow. a life affirming moment. It was pretty That's great. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. Good for you. So I can, I can tell the passion in, in when you speak about data. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. A lot of professionals have a tough time finding that passion, which is great for you. Mm -hmm. um, my next question is more around the actual role, the chief privacy mm -hmm. officer role. It's somewhat of a new role in organizations. You know, I, I talked to a lot of a lot of different companies, and, and and the CPO is not every company has a CPO, right? So, can you maybe elaborate on what the chief privacy officer does, and who do you mostly interact with on the day to day? Like, how close is your relationship with the CISO, the CIO, the CFO? Like, where where do these people come into the conversation? Um. So, I mean, to me, CPO, the chief privacy officer, we are responsible for any policies, programs, communications, and training when it comes to data handling. Our job is to make sure that the company is using data responsibly. Um, and, and this rule has been around for some time, but definitely with the advent of uh, legislation like GDPR mm -hmm. and in states and whatnot, it, it's, there's been a huge shift in how many people are now entering this field. And to me, I kind of break it down in terms of, you know, people, process, and technology. And we can get more into the weeds on that one if you want. Um, but in terms of who we interact with in the business, I mean, we work very closely with the security team. Right. And the metaphor I like to use here is that security might be the one in charge of the pipes and making sure that, you know, no, there's no leakages with the pipes, nothing's getting right. into the pipes. But privacy is actually kind of looking at, well, what's actually flowing through the pipes? Where are we getting this from? Are we commingling this with other sources from other pipes and how long are we keeping it for? And so we're the ones that are asking more of, of, of those sort of questions and having to figure out the right thing to do there. But you, I think you mentioned the CIO. So we right. might be interacting with IT to understand those actual data flows, um, legal, if we're not, because privacy also can sit in various parts of an organization, depending on how the right. organization is made up. That's Sometimes what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place. So I, I have yet to see like one specific model for that. Uh, but we basically interact with everybody to an extent. Um, I, I mean, there's an, a concept under uh, GDPR called Article 30 Record of Processing Activity, and you have to understand every business process that is using personal data. Right. So that basically requires you having to get in touch with every business team within your organization and understanding how data is flowing. So it's, it's actually a very strong relationship sort of building role because at the end of the day, you know, you, you want the folks in the business to want to come to you to talk to you about these various things that they're doing with data and have it be more of a partnership rather than, you know, they're scared to come to you or they won't come right. to you or anything like that. So 
as you're saying that, so I see that obviously you're interacting with a lot of different people, mm -hmm. which is which is obviously, I mean, it's pretty normal because I mean, data interacts, you know, data flows or data interacts with a lot of different organizations with, within the enterprise. Now, do you sometimes see some reluctance or does it sometimes become difficult for that, that interaction or for that conversation? Like everyone's kind of sensitive to what and how you interact with their process, right? You had, you said mentioned people process technology. Process and people sometimes don't always work together. So I'm just curious as to, do you see any contention come up when you're having a conversation with some of those groups and trying to question how they're managing the data? Yeah, I mean, it definitely happens. There are definitely arguments that come in. Everyone has competing priorities. Things need to have, deadlines need to be passed, have to be done yesterday. You right. might be stalling business things. Oh yeah, I've heard it all. I've heard okay. it all. So, yeah, I, think I figured. It was a natural yeah. question. It was an obvious question, but I just wanted oh, yeah. to make sure that, you know, like, because we see it all the time. And then, you know, when you, you have to, you have to manage that. And, and what I've seen is if it's something that comes from compliance, if it's a governance thing, if it's a compliance thing or it's a risk topic, right? It just gets precedence. It just gets priority. You know what I mean? I think, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to confirm that my, my, my thought process was, was okay. I, no, you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think just kind of to that point though, in terms of that relationship, I mean, you have to actually build a relationship with these people, but right. also having them understand why, you know, you might need to do something and, you know, Y instead of X or whatever it is and just say, hey, you know, I, I don't disagree with you that this might be an annoying thing, but the law says that we have to do it this way. Or, you know, can we really think about this like pilot that you want to do? I mean, if your mom was going to do this and walk into this situation, would you really be okay? Right. So really kind of trying to get them to kind of think about it a little differently, maybe see various viewpoints, because part of the role of privacy is to just kind of think of all of these what if hypothetical scenarios. Mm -hmm. It can be a bit of a job that requires some healthy paranoia, I'd like to say, um, but, that, but that's part of our role because most people might not be thinking about that and that's okay. Right. I want the business to go out and, and you know, make a ton of money and do revenue and all of those things. And so I'm not there to necessarily stop it, but I am there to make sure that we're doing it right. So, you know, we don't get fined. We don't end up with some terrible PR story or anything right. like that, that we're actually doing right by our customers and employees. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That that's a great way to approach it. I mean, it's not about, and I didn't want to make it sound like it was contention, and maybe that maybe I didn't, you know, I didn't I didn't mention it correctly. But it, it really not it's not about contention, but it's more about like having them, you know, question a lot of you know the process. And I think, like you said, I mean, if you if you break it down to a simple example, is, are you okay with you know a family member doing this, or or you know how they would be impacted by it? Then I, I think people kind of understand. So I, I appreciate that, Heather. So. I want to I just switch gears here. I want to I want to keep the, the time uh, on track. So I want to talk a little bit about data privacy laws because obviously I'm sure you you see those a lot in your day to day. Given that the U.S. does not have a singular data privacy law, how do businesses keep up with all the various data privacy laws? There's CCPA, HIPAA, FCRA, and and a whole bunch, right? How how does an organization keep up? I mean, you feel like you're kind of on a constant goose chase for this sort of thing. Um, but I think you'd feel that no matter what. I think it, it first depends on understanding what sort of business are you in. Mm -hmm. So, Good. you know, yeah. I'm not in the business of dealing with kids or anything that might have to do with kids, then I'm not going to worry about COPPA, which is the children's privacy law. Right. If I'm not dealing with health data, I'm not going to worry about HIPAA or that sort of privacy law. So it, I think it's first kind of figuring out where you can you know, not necessarily eliminate, but not have to 
worry, I guess the right word would be yeah. prioritize. Got it. You know, what, what are the things you need to prioritize given the industry that you're in? If you're in a regulated industry like finance or healthcare, like GLBA and HIPAA are going to be your best friends. So it's, it's first kind of coming to terms with that. I mean, paying attention to a lot of the state activity level, not just the, the new privacy laws we see coming out, but sometimes what are the AGs are doing, enforcement actions, the Federal Trade Commission before a lot of these comprehensive laws came out. I mean, everyone was seeing what the FTC was doing because it was all about deception and unfairness. So it, it's just really kind of having to figure out what's going on at a given time. And, and again, like focusing on what are the key priorities for your business. And then also, I mean, just being in a, let's say a consumer facing business versus um, a, a B2B business. Right, versus, I was gonna ask that, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, at, F, at Big ID, this is B2B. So the concerns that I'm dealing with here are very different than the ones I dealt with at, at Amex and Macy's, which is normal. So there's still things I have to contend with it's just very different than what those roles required. Interesting, interesting point there where you mentioned B2B and B2C, because there's obviously a different lens that you have to look at this through. However, indirectly though, and we'll talk about how Big ID helps companies after, after my next question, but I guess if you're B2B or B2C, indirectly, there is some kind of notion of B2C in there. So you have to still understand what the impact is going to lie in the yeah. long term, right? To the end, end user, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you always have to be concerned about that. Um, I, I guess I think about it more in, to the extent that like if we take something like data subject rights, which mm -hmm. is pretty common amongst GDPR and CCPA and these other new privacy laws coming out, the amount of DSAR requests you're going to get if you're a consumer-facing retailer right. is very different than you're, if you're like a software in a B2B space. Yes, so I totally just, agree. So however, to your point, as a processor or vendor in this space, I still need to do right by my version of customers, which are these companies who their customers are these end users. And right. at the end of the day, a lot of actually the security incidents that go on are not always through the um, consumer facing company, but a lot of the time through their vendors. And that, that would be a terrible thing for any company to go through, but it would also be terrible for our customers to go through and ultimately to hurt their customers. So yes, you are totally right. Okay. Oh yeah, I just I, I see it from different different aspects. So I want to make sure that I'm not I'm not forgetting anything. The big question. Uh, so right now, there's a handful of states you mentioned that have signed you know law when it comes to data privacy. Do you see this continuing, or will, will there be like a federal privacy law emerge similar to how GDPR kind of took over what there was in in, in Europe? I mean, mm -hmm. is that is that going to happen, or what do you see? Um, so I am deeply cynical that we're going to see <laughs> legislation, at least in the next five, if it happens, maybe by the end of the 2020s decade that like, but I'm, I'm a little in the minority on that camp. So just full disclosure on that one. Okay. Uh, I just, I don't have a whole lot of faith in um, our politicians to really get it together in a way that would be really meaningful, but I hope I will be proven wrong. Um, I think the other thing though, is that GDPR and Europe have a different history when it comes to these things, I mean, they okay. also come from a place where they had the privacy directive for a number of years. And the idea with GDPR is that it was a regulation. So now all of the member states, it's, it's harmonized amongst them. They're all following the same law, albeit different interpretations of it. And it's enforcement with much more teeth, thanks to the fines that they have. And right. each member state has their own DPA 
whereas here in the states, even though you're seeing these new states popping up with their privacy laws, um, it's up to the attorneys general of each state to enforce it. And the AG has a ton of other competing priorities that they're dealing with. So, I mean, we'll be lucky with each state. I mean, and granted, they might come out and say like, oh, we really care about privacy. And I believe that they genuinely do, but they have competing priorities. They have a limited budget. So we'll be lucky if maybe we see like three to five enforcement cases a year. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate your take on it. Like I said, I don't think there's, a real, there's no right answer to this, but it's just yeah. a matter of, I you know you wanted to know your, what your thought was on that. And then sorry, the, the, just one more thing. The exception to that one though, is California because California, the, Cal right. the new California law created their own state agency. Um, so I think everyone's kind of, and that goes into effect next year in 2023. So everyone's kind of, kind of waiting and seeing how new office is going to respond. So I, okay. I, I can't do that. I, I think if I come back maybe in like three years from now, I'll have more to say on that. Well, I'll take you up on that in three years. We'll, we'll have the conversation again, hopefully three. sooner. But so let me just ask you this. So just so for clarity for some of the audience that may not understand how privacy laws work. So mm -hmm. when you have a state that has a privacy law, does it, mm -hmm. does it, is it, does it pertain to the enterprise or the individual or both? I think the enterprise, but I think usually we focus on the individual here. Um, and, and as of right now, I think it's kind of hard to ignore all the various, you know, to segregate and just say, I'm only going to offer this, these privacy rights for Californians and people in Colorado and Virginia, but not people in New Jersey or right. something like that. I think the exception there though, is that the only uh, state privacy law that is offering employee privacy rights is California. So many organizations as of right now are considering just taking a California only approach for employee privacy rights and consumer everybody for anyone who's not an employee or a consumer. So let me, let me give you a, a concrete example or so I can understand this as well. So mm -hmm. if I'm a citizen of New York state and I do, you know, I do business or I, I have a, I conduct a transaction with a company who's based in California. As a citizen of New York state, am I protected because I'm doing business with a company in, in California? If, if something happens. I mean, technically a strict, a, a strict reading of it. I, I would say maybe not because you're really? in New York, Okay. but I would like to think that many companies are just taking a, you know, let's just offer this to everybody in America approach. An and, umbrella and the, approach. Yeah. Yeah. The umbrella approach and many organizations are. Okay. It's good to know. It's because it's, it's a practical, it's a practical example, right? And a lot of customers, we have the same, we have similar things happening in, in Canada here as well. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that, you know, the, the individuals of the state are protected under certain laws, but then what happens if you're an individual from another, another province, another state. So practical yeah. scenario. So Heather, I got one last question or my second last question perhaps is this is a big one. How does big ID or how does your mm -hmm. team help companies keep up with data privacy challenges? We're a partner here at Assurance IT of Big ID. We love the solutions. We think you guys are awesome. But talk to us about the solutions you offer customers and, and clients and, and, and the organizations and how you're helping them. Sure. Um, so one of the things I, I actually love about Big ID is that before I started here in my training, it was always about knowing what data that you have, that I can't really take action on my data. I can't protect my data if I don't know what I'm dealing with. And Big ID takes that theoretical concept and makes it a reality. Through our advanced machine learning capabilities, we are actually able to know what data you have. Our coverage is unmatched, structured, unstructured data. And there's lots of various things that we can do in terms of understanding your data assets. 
And on top of that, sit various applications and features that are um, useful for the privacy, security, and data governance domains. So specifically with privacy, you can take that data discovery knowledge and create an entire inventory of all of your data assets. You can use that to help fulfill a data subject rights request in whichever jurisdiction you need to fulfill it. And whether it's on the back end that you need to get this data together, or if you want a front end privacy portal to manage the workflow and all these requests, we have that as well. Um, we have a, a data-driven record of processing activity, a ROPA app. And it's, again, it's powered by the data that you have from that inventory. So it updates in real time if things are materially changing. We also have a, a PIA app and it's the ability to customize various PIAs because when I was working with the product team, for me, I said the way that I want to do a PIA here at our B2B company is going to be very different than one of our customers in financial services is going to want to do this. So that's just a smattering of some of the applications that we have. And also the great thing is, you know, we started on the enterprise side, so really working with large businesses. However, we also saw that there are a lot of smaller, medium-sized businesses that are out there that also need privacy solutions. So we have a, a whole smattering of offerings called small under small ID, where you can do discovery for any cloud-based sort of um, uh apps or um, sources that you're using, as well as doing the, the assessments and doing the DSARs and consent and preferences and whatnot. So there's just, it's an extensive platform and I feel like I've only touched upon like one tenth of it, but just, you know, off the top of my head, it just, it, I, I just love the range of everything that we're doing and really that it's a platform based approach. So it's not like you're just getting one solution. You're getting this whole suite of offerings that you can do within big ID or within our third party app marketplace. Interesting. Yeah, I know. I like that. And, and you touch upon something that's really important for us. So, I mean, not all companies can afford or can go for the, you know, the big ticket item and big ID really is, you know, designed for, for the enterprise. It really is designed for, for larger enterprises. But the fact that you guys have introduced small ID helps some of those smaller organizations who don't necessarily need all the bells and whistles of what big ID offers. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, small ID does offer a large enterprise solution for smaller organizations who may not need every single feature and functionality in there. And that's one of the reasons why we, we like the fact that we can, we can work with, with, with a solution because oftentimes some of those mid-market companies will be left behind because they just, they don't, you know, they can't afford or they can't, they can't permit themselves to have such a, a large solution in their environment, which is very valuable. Don't get me wrong. It's just that they can't attain it. Uh, so yeah, so the small ID solution, you know, paired up with, you know, with the big ID offering is, is to, to me and, and my team, we we find that very interesting. And the number of data sources, I think is something that, you know, how, how many data sources can you guys actually go and go and, go and fetch data from? Oh boy. In the hundreds. I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't even keep count. Yeah, no, I know there's a lot, right? There's a, there's a ton there's a and it's structured and yeah. unstructured, which is, yep. which is, which is very, you know, one of the competitive advantages you guys have as well. Yeah. Interesting. And, and and to your point that you were saying about the mid-market, that's something that I've heard from some other privacy friends in Canada, that there's there's a big mid-market there um, in, in which, you know, that are looking for sort of solutions to really help. And I, I think that's where small ID can really come in and, and just help with some of those needs. Because, I mean, if you're 
if you're a smaller company, you're not going to need all the bells and whistles mm -hmm. of our enterprise platform. Not yet, I, anyway. Not yet, not anyway, yet. right? Not yet. Yeah, Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> you will so for for both of us. Well, that's it exactly, and then that's what we like. So we like to start our customers small and get them kind of used to because. I do have another question, and I apologize. I'll be yeah. good with time. In terms of skill set, how does the market look? Are are we are we okay with when it comes to you know privacy skill sets or, or individuals with that skill set? Are we lacking, or where where are we with that? Because I'm 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 having trouble with that. You know, I'm having trouble finding those individuals, both technically and understand the privacy aspect. So, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a huge demand for for privacy experts these days, and the supply side needs to catch up. I think I saw some statistic um, for IAPP, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, that they now have 75,000 members, wow. which to me sounds like a lot. But I mean, then imagine how many of those members are just brand spanking new to privacy and whatnot. So I, th I think this, I think we'll see the industry change really in the next, also in the next five, 10 years. And, and a huge part is because of all these regulations that are coming of out. Course. And that some of them actually require that you have some sort of internal data protection officer. So mm -hmm. the, like, or the, the regulation actually says that. So right. it's definitely changing the nature of the game. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting because here in Quebec, uh, every enterprise will have to name a DPO. Mm -hmm. And by default, it'll be, become the company president. So that's posing some big challenges right now. So we're trying to see how we're, you know, how the enterprises are going to, first of all, be aware of this because a lot of enterprises don't even don't understand what that means. So yeah. there's a huge awareness factor that comes into play. And then, of course, the technical skill set, which we'll have to go and fill that gap. So interesting times to come. That's for sure. Heather, I've asked all the questions I want. And I've taken, you know, I think enough of your time here. It's very valuable. And we appreciate you, you know, taking the time with us. Anything for me? Anything that you may have wanted to mention that I didn't ask or anything important that's on your mind? Um, is there anything, I guess, from the Canadian regulatory side that you know might be worth mentioning to the audience here um I, I know that there was supposed to be a federal law or national law in canada and it didn't go through last year um, but i've heard rumors that it's likely going to come back and when i at least the older version of it i mean it was very gdpr-esque it would have been considered one of the strictest data protection regulations in the world so I'll be very curious to see if there's any traction on that in this year or next year. So the federal law, I can comment on that because I've, I've done some, some, some homework on that and we have a team that's dedicated to privacy here. So Bill C-11 was the one that was tabled at the federal level. And I don't think it, well, it hasn't made, obviously it hasn't made its way through yet, but they are looking to reposition that one. Here in Quebec, they've, they've positioned or, or a revamp of law 25, which is going to include the new, the new legislation, new law. Um, and that has, has been put on the table and that's actually going to be in, in effect as of September, 2022. And it is very GDPR-esque and it does have tremendous penalties associated with it. Mm -hmm. So will the Canadian federal, you know, a, a law adapt some of the, the pioneer or the avant-gardeness of the one that's been put in Quebec? Who knows? Remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's going to come and, and it's going to, and businesses need to get ready. And, and one of the things that we see is a lot of businesses in Canada already do business with companies in Europe already. So they have a notion of what GDPR is and they have a notion of how data privacy works already. So that's, that's already putting them ahead of the game. But from what I gather, there's going to be some modifications or moderations to that law. 
So they're going to have to make sure that they're, they're ready for it. So interesting times ahead for sure. And um, I mean, that's one of the things we do here. We, we take data privacy and data protection very, very seriously. So that mm -hmm. we, we believe that they go hand in hand. It, it's not only a technical solution, but now it's more like you said, people process and technology. So I think we're on the right path here. And, and again, I appreciate you taking the time, Heather. If ever, you know, you want to do this again in the near future, we can rediscuss where the, the state of affairs is in six months. We're more than happy to have that, that conversation. Yeah, happy with you. to. Happy to. Thank you for uh, having me, Luigi. Uh, it's a pleasure, Heather. So with that, I'm going to say thank you and we'll, uh, we'll sign off. Thank you for listening to 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Assurance IT is in the cybersecurity space specializing in data protection and compliance. Since 2011, they primarily help mid-sized enterprises in Canada. If you have questions about protecting your data, reach out to us directly at info at assuranceit.ca or visit assuranceit.ca.